How many is going to pray for me today? You know, the one thing good about doing book studies, going through like the book of, if, if we were to just normally pick a subject and talk on a topic, normally what we would do is pick on stuff we like to speak about. And we would never deal with these other subjects we don't like to speak about. So in a way, I'm dealing with a subject today that is not my favorite to speak about. Uh, but I, I want to cover it anyway. I feel like it's important. I think it's important for us to know. And so I just desire your prayers today. Last week, we started on this series on Romans, kind of dealing with Christmas, talking about the foundations of peace. The angels came to, and said, uh, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That's what God wants. God wants us to live in peace. And he wants us to have peace with God. He wants us to have peace with one another. Uh, he wants us to have peace in our heart. And uh, God, the reason he come is he didn't like the, the situation that we were all in. Uh, and it was a harmful situation. So Jesus came. We, we found out last week that before the foundation of the earth was, God already knew in his heart how we are. We're depraved human beings. And so before the foundations of the earth was, God decided that he was going to bestow his love on us. God decided he was going to love us anyway. And uh, how many likes that? That's good news, right? God decided that he was going to love us. And even if we were enemies, he was going to love us. Even if we were sinners, he was going to love us. He decided before time was, before there was an earth, that he would love us. And so the Bible tells us, gives us an idea of in the beginning in Genesis. We know that's not the beginning of everything. It's the beginning of the part that he wants us to understand. He said, in the beginning, there was God. That's the first truth that we need to know. And we know from looking at the original language, there's more than just God. It's come let us. Who's the us? It's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. And so the Trinity of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, uh, Holy Spirit made man in his own image. We know that man, though, uh, he, there was a devil that was cast out of heaven, lived here on this earth. Satan, Lucifer, uh, son of darkness, all these things that it says about. But we find out this creature, the devil, will come as an angel of light. He will pray to himself as light. He will pray to himself as being right. He will pray to himself as being truth. And all the while, he's a liar. He's a thief. He's the devil. He is darkness. He's everything that we don't want. But see, God first started off and then God created Adam in his image. Well, after that, Adam sinned and then we become in the image of Adam, not the image of God. Some people mistake that. They don't understand that in that true sense, we're not in the image of God. And, and so from the very God knew where this sin would lead to. Sin is a horrible thing. In the story I used to preach a sermon about Abraham and Lot, God had blessed Abraham with the blessing. And he told Abraham, he said, wherever you go, wherever the foot of your soles of your feet goes, I'm going to bless you. I've chosen to bless you. Uh, he didn't even really deserve to be blessing, but God chose to bless him, just like God chose to love us unconditionally. But so Abraham went, and pretty soon they were blessed. They were blessed in the city. They were blessed in the country. They had so many uh, livestock they didn't know what to do with. And, you know, Lot was Abraham's nephew. He treated him like a son because at that point Abraham didn't have a son. And so finally 
his son Lot just said, well, I think I'm going to take my flocks and I'm, and I'm going to move on out and go on my own way. And so we find that, uh, that he uh, pitched his tent toward Sodom and Gomorrah, which was a very evil place at that time. It was probably one of the most degraded places on the face of the earth. I don't know whether he totally knew that, but he was headed in the wrong direction. He had somehow got in himself and believed that he was the great raiser of these stocks. He was some way deceived that he had become what he'd become on his own merit. And so he pitched his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah and he went down there. And it wasn't long that he lost everything that he had. It wasn't an upgrade for him to separate. It was a degrade. And, and so I used to preach this message that sin will take you further than you want to go. And it did for Lot. It took him further than he anticipated on going. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. And see, God knows this about sin. God knows this about the devil. He knows this about the prince of darkness. He knows what he will do unrestrained. He knows. And so God looked through time and he decided to bestow his love on us. And he decided that he would rescue us. And he tells right there after man's sin, right after man's sin, right after man disobeyed, he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to send the seed of a woman and this woman's seed is going to, it's going to, I'm going to one day stomp Satan's head under his feet. We find out that that seed of woman was Jesus Christ. It was her seed, not Adam's seed, which is unusual, supernatural. A virgin is going to have a child and her seed is going to bruise Satan. And it did. When Jesus went to the cross and he died on the cross, he rascal, he took away Satan's power. And uh, amazing thing. And he did it because he knew how horrible and how bad sin is. I want you to say sin is bad. Sin is bad. Don't ever forget that. And so last week I was talking about this wonderful gospel that before time was, God decided. It's like the, the, the prodigal son, he, uh, there were two sons. The younger son, he wanted his inheritance. He wanted to go on his own. He wanted to go out and enjoy the world. And he thought it would be fun out there to just go on his own. And then there was an elder son. He stayed at home and done everything his dad said. Well, the son that had went into the far country pretty soon he lost every he thought it was going to be an upgrade and it was a downgrade he lost everything he had and the father he, he this image played in his mind on a regular basis that one day my son will come to his senses and he's going to come home and so the father began to rehearse in his mind he began to th Think about what kind of party he was going to throw for his son when he finally came home. And so he goes, you know, when, that, when my son, he probably sat on the porch thinking, one day I'm going to be sitting on the porch and I'm going to look out there and my son's going to be coming. And I'm going to run to my son as fast as I can. I'm going to jump on him. I'm going to hug him. I'm going to kiss him. I'm going to say, son, you that were lost, you're back. And I love you. And he's going to say, kill the fatted calf. And 
put on the family signet ring and the royal robe and for my son that was lost, that was dead, is now alive. And so this beautiful, beautiful story, that's what the Father envisioned for all of us. So, you know, the Bible said that there's rejoicing in heaven when one sinner comes to Christ. There's re rejoicing in the presence of heaven when one sinner. So God still has that picture. That was a picture of him. Then there was an elder son, was like the Jewish nation. The elder son was, well, I tell you what, I've done everything. I've kept all the rules and I've pleased the father and I've done everything he wanted me to do. And he's throwing him a party, not throwing me a party. Jealousy, jealousy. And so the whole story is sometimes it doesn't do you any good if you stay at home and supposedly do everything right or at least you think you have in your mind. If you're wishing you were in the far country, you really are there in your heart. And the son that was in the far country was wishing he was back in the father's arms. And their, their hearts took them there. And I want to ask you today, do you have a heart for God? Paul calls this gospel the greatest news there ever was. The good news because Paul realized how bad off he was. He was like that elder son. He killed Christians in the name of, of God. Uh, he was going to make people live for God. And he learned that was not the way it works. He was, hated the Gentiles because they were like the kid in the far land that didn't know no better. But Paul tells us, number one, I told you last week, he said, I love this gospel because this is the gospel of God. I didn't make it up. It's the gospel of God. The next thing he said, it's the gospel about Jesus Christ. It's not about anybody else. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, it's the gospel that produces obedience. Didn't do you any good in the Old Testament to know the word. You had no ability to keep the word. The Jewish people thought they knew the word and thought they kept the word, but they really didn't. God judged them. He said, even though you... You know, you, you, you profess to know the word. Do you knowing the word do any good for you? Because you're doing some of the very things that you're telling people not to do. And he says, judge and you'll be judged. Judge and you'll be judged. And so he tells us the gospel is good news. The gospel means good news. The gospel is good news because it produces the something that the law could not do. It was weak and that it could tell you what you did right or what you did wrong, but it could not help you do what is right. It was weak in that way. And he said the gospel produces obedience. We found out that the gospel is the power and the will to do his good pleasure. So when we... When we give heed to the gospel, we let the gospel come into us, the good news come to us and we receive it by faith and believing, then the gospel produces in us the ability to start living the gospel. You know, the, the question is, is like once saved, always saved. And we go, well, what about if somebody they profess to be saved, but they're not living it? Well, I'm telling you, the gospel produces obedience. So I would say that someone that is not obedient to God does not know the gospel or the, the savior of the gospel, the Jesus of the gospel. You can't just say it. You got to do it. That's what he told the, the Jewish people. He said, you can't just say you the gospel. You can't just be hearers of the gospel. You got to be doers of the gospel. And the gospel is powerful because it produces the will and the power to do God's pleasure. 
So he, he tells us about that. And this, these are actually uh, bringing up uh, points from last week. And he said the gospel is for everyone. Everybody say everyone. Everyone can go to heaven. Every, is everybody going to heaven? No. But everyone could go to heaven. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. God wants us all to have everlasting life. And so the gospel is for everybody. And, uh, and because the gospel came by Jesus Christ, God gave him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's only one person that we're going to bow to, not many gods, not other gods, one, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the only one that purchased your salvation, nobody else. There's a, God, a lot of good, maybe prophets or teachers in the world, but there's only one that died for your sins. And so he's the only one. And so Paul talks about that he feels under obligation to share this good news. And it's, it's kind of like this. I used an illustration in the first service that it's like if uh, I used Roger in the first service. If Roger gave me $100, he said, this $100 is for Jeff. And I got the $100. Now I've got the $100. I'd like, well, I'd like to have that $100, but it's not my $100. This $100 belonged to Jeff. And I told him I'd give it to Jeff. Then I'm under obligation to give it to Jeff. It don't belong to me. Paul was much like that. Paul said, I'm under obligation to share with you this news. And some of you, because of the darkness in this world, you're not going to take the good news as good news. You're not going to receive it right. Paul knew very well that one day he would die for the gospel. Why? Because the world was a darkened place and they hated the gospel. They hated Christians. They hated anybody that shed light on their wicked deeds. And so that's what happened. And he says the gospel of God is powerful. It's so powerful that it raised Jesus Christ from the dead. If Jesus Christ had not been raised from the dead, then salvation wouldn't be any better than some of the fables that you hear today of, of great men. But Jesus died and was resurrected from the dead. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. And that's what makes this gospel powerful. It gives you the power to live. It gives you the will and the power to live. And he's coming back and we're going to forever spend eternity with him. And so this same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. And now he's seated with him in a place of honor. So we, we, we see this. It's a great thing. This thing ain't hardly working good today. All right. He said, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son of also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only dying could he break the power. Only through Jesus dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set us all free. How much does Jesus love us? He died a cruel death that we could all be set free from this cruelty thing called sin. Now, some people tell you that sin is fun. It's fun to sin. It's, it's fun to be on your own. It's fun to be free. It's fun to have nobody telling you what to do. It's fun, you know, I'm going to be me. I'm going to do what I want to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And Paul said, no, the way of the sinner is hard. Not the way of the saint. The way of the sinner, 
The way of the transgressor is hard. And yet some people today still don't believe that. They don't believe that it's, it's hard. The way of the sinner is hard. So then God made you alive in Christ for he forgave all your sins. I love this. For God made you alive with Christ for he gave, forgave all your sins. Everybody say all. All our sins. He counseled the record of the chain charges against us. Can you imagine that? He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us. And he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rules, rulers of authorities. Shamed them publicly by the victory over them on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he defeated Satan once and for all. He cleared your record. He died for your past sins, your present sins, your future sins. The good news is that you're all forgiven. You've all been, God's prepared a place for every one of you in heaven. That's good news. It's the greatest news ever was. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. For whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have perish. But you've got to believe. You've got to believe in him. You've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've got to be obedient to him. Where do you get the power to be obedient? From the gospel. The gospel gives you the power to live for him. And then what Paul does, he says, this gospel will produce righteousness in you. The gospel, as you begin to be obedient to the word of God and the ways of God, this gospel will produce a rightness in you. You'll want to be right. You'll want to live right. You won't want to live corrupt. You won't want to live evil. That's one of the ways you're going to know that, that you're a child of God is you want to live for God. You don't always succeed at it. Sometimes you fail. But even when you fail, you have an advocate at the right hand of the Father in Jesus Christ. And he pleads your case. And, you know, he, he, he becomes the, the judge and the jury and the, and the sacrifice, if need be. God loves you that much. And he don't want anything to ever stop you from going to heaven. And so this gospel produces a rightness, a righteousness in us. The word righteousness is used 66 times in this gospel. 66 times. Some people have said the book of Romans is the book on how to be right. How to be right. And so he's going to talk about, he said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned. Ever, all, all, just like all can be saved, all have sinned. There's not anybody in this room that has never sinned. We, we sometimes often sin. Some of you sin this week. I mean, I sinned some this week. I, I don't doubt it when you look at everything. I don't want to sin. Sometimes I fall short. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory that God has for us. God has this image that he wants us to be his children. He has a glorious image of what he wants us to be. For the wages of sin is death. We all deserved 100% to die. The good news is he died for us that we don't have to die. We can go to heaven. He holds the keys to death, uh, hell, and the grave. Uh, when your loved one dies, if they're in Christ, if they're believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, have faith in him. We may grieve because they're not around us anymore, but they're in heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we don't grieve as people that don't know Jesus grieves because they have no hope at all. They don't have any hope of seeing that loved one again. It's over. And so we look at this, the wages of sin is death. So Paul 
if he's going to get you to understand the good news, he has to tell you how bad the bad news is. The bad news is we're all sinners. The bad news is we're all hell bound. The bad news is we all deserve hell. The bad news, we all sin. And we're far from the glory of God. We're far from anything that deserves to be in heaven or to be died for or to be redeemed. That's the bad news. The good news is that God died for us anyway while we were yet sinners. While we were yet enemies. For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I don't believe that people go to hell now because of sin other than sin of unbelief. Because he said he died for our sins. He cleared the record. Now all we have to do, Jesus became your sin. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and my sins. Jesus gave us his righteousness and he took our sin. When we get to heaven, you know, the thing I want to ask Jesus, Jesus, why did you do that for me? Why did you die for my sins? Why did you die for all my past sins and my present sins and my future sins? Do you know how horrible I am, God? You know how bad I am, God, and you died for me? Why did you do it, God? You know, when I get to heaven, you know, I got loved ones that went, but I want to see Jesus. I want to ask Jesus why. Why did you love me so much, Jesus? Why did you love me so much? Why, why would you go to that length for me, just me? But, you know, I have to believe on him. He, he didn't say it's for everybody. Some people say, well, you got to love the... You, you don't love the sin. I mean, you don't love the sinner. You hate the sin, but, but you love the sinner. That's not what the Bible says. We use that quite often. God loves the sinner. God died a horrible death because of the sin. But God does not love the unrepented sinner. He loves them, but they're not going to go to heaven. The unrepentant sinner is not going to make it. There's a thing on a computer. Most all of you know, especially young people in here, they know about computers. You get a computer and ever so often or a phone, it says it's time to upgrade. You need to upgrade. You, you need to upgrade. And you have to go in and you have to run this software and it downloads a new operating system in a sense and you upgrade. To me, I take that similar to being repentance. Ever so often as I'm reading the Word of God, I realize I'm not doing the Word of God right. I'm not living right. And kind of God says, okay, I, I'm convicting you of the way you're living. You need, an, you need an upgrade. And so I repent of my sins and I feel God gives me a new operating system. He gives me a new want to. He makes me not want to do that anymore. He wants me, helps me want to do what is right. And you know, but if you, every time you get that umption to repent... To do that upgrade, and you, you refuse to do it, and you refuse to do it. There comes a point in time where the Bible says God's Spirit will not always strive with man. God's Spirit won't always come to you and strive with you for that upgrade. God wants you to be upgraded. He wants you to be upgraded from hell to heaven. He wants to spend eternity with you. That's another thing I want to ask Jesus. Jesus, why? Why does the God of all eternity want to spend eternity with, eternity with me? Why, God? And I think about that in repentance. We used to have these repentant services called revivals. And in revivals, some people would preach and they'd preach about sin. I love trans 
the translations of the scripture. We use the King James Version, which the King James is a translation too. You got the, the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek is what the Bible was originally put in. And then he, they translated it to Latin and they translated it to the King James 1611 Version. Most of us could not even read the 1611 Version. But you know, I was reading the other day, there's over 300 places in the King James Version, or in the NIV version, and even more in other versions. People consider the NIV the closest to the King James. And they, they said that over 300 times that the way that the new versions, it weakens, it weakens it a little bit. If I say, you're a sinner, it may not say you're a sinner, it may say we've all. It, it, it has a way of lessening. But it also, that's the bad part. The, the good part is it makes some words more understandable. So you weigh that and you go, well, younger people and people new to the faith, they can understand more of the NIV. But the King James is more pointed and straight and like, you better get right. And, you know, it's, it's more pointed. And so there's some good and bad to it all. And even the 1611 version is not exactly like the, I took the, the languages and in college and there are some differences but what, what I want you to see is there is a tendency to to lessen the truth and uh, there is a tendency for us to want to uh, not look at sin anymore back in the 70s I told you about Carl Manager a psychologist he wrote a book whatever became of sin nobody ever talks about sin anymore they talk about errors and they talk about mistakes and they don't ever talk about sin anymore. What does salvation mean? It means deliverance. Jesus was, his name is the same name as Joshua of the Old Testament. Jesus was our, Josh, our Josh, Josh, Joshua. Can't even say it today. Jesus was our Joshua. I want to ask you something. Did some people die in the wilderness under Joshua? Did some people not get to the promised land under Joshua, even though Joshua meant their deliverer? Did some not get to the promised land under Moses, even though he was their deliverer? Here's the thing I'm telling you. If we don't keep following God, are we going to be delivered? Some of them in the wilderness, they said, I don't want to follow Joshua anymore. I'm sick of following him. He don't know where he's going anywhere. We've been wandering around out here forever. And there, plus there's giants in the other land. People make fun of us. I don't want to go anymore. I wonder if we set out on God, if we don't follow God anymore, if we don't hear him anymore. You ever been lost before in your car? The GPSs are wonderful, aren't they? They have a GPS. You turn on the GPS and they'll say, okay, here's where you're at. And then you put in the address where you want to go. And it'll say, go down here, turn left, and then go up here three miles and turn right. And, and if, but what if you get down that road and you go, I'm not listening to that anymore. You're going to stay lost. Jesus bought our complete freedom, our complete deliverance. He died for all our sins. But he says, here's how you get back home. All of us prodigals, here's how you get back home. You listen to the Father. You realize your sin. You repent of your sins. Like the prodigal son, what did he do? He repented. He said, I repent. I've sinned against God, heaven, and I've I've sinned against earth and I repent of that. 
And that got him on the right road back home. His father wanted him. The father must have prayed with him a lot. We have a Jesus at the right hand of the father praying for us constantly to come home. And so we, we get this. And, and so God wants us to be in right standing. He wants us not to be under the curse of sin. And the good news today is you have been upgraded. God has upgraded your your ability to get to heaven. God is giving you His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is like your GPS. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible said, not that we live in a sin-free world. We live in a sinful world. But He said, the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you into all truth. But you've got to be leadable and you've got to be guidable. He'll lead and guide you in all truth. He will reprove you. Look at your neighbor and say, reprove. He'll reprove you of your sins. In other words, when you sin, he'll say, that's awful. You shouldn't have done that. That's not how my children act. That's not the way you should act. That's not right. And you then should repent of that that he's reproved you of. You repent and say, God, you're right, God. You agree with God. God, I'm not right. I shouldn't have thought that thought. I shouldn't have watched that television show. I shouldn't have my face into that pornography on the, on the internet. I shouldn't be thinking those thoughts, going to those places, doing those things. The Holy Spirit will reprove you from sin, but you've got to listen. There's plenty of power to break the power of sin and the stronghold of sin of your life. God made sure of that. That's good news. But this right here, I want you to understand the wrath of God. Some people say, well, God's such a hateful God. He, he's going to pour out wrath upon his people. I want you to understand what wrath is. And wrath is not what you think it is or what I thought it was. When Paul gets up to speak, he says, here's what I want to tell the people in Rome. I want to tell the people in Rome that we're all depraved. Not just the Gentiles are depraved. People thought they were outside of the flock of God. They were outside. But he said, the Gentiles, they're not the only ones depraved. They're not the only ones lost. And Jesus died for people like the Gentiles that did not know. And then he goes through this long spiel. There's not anybody that does not know there is a God. He said, there's enough in the grand design of nature that there's nobody that will be guiltless of the fact that there is a great designer, which is God. There's nobody that can say they never knew. In other words, it's great news because nobody's ever going to be sent to hell not knowing the truth. He said, everybody knows. I thought about this. As much as our nation acts like there is no God, and he's totally irrelevant... Every time there's a death in the nation, the whole nation gets together and they play church. How many prayers did we hear this week? How many news stations covered prayers and spiritual songs and hymns and wonderful things said about people? When 9-11 happened, this nation that acts like it's totally 100% godless, did our nation not call on God? Did our nation not pray? Did our nation not hold visuals? What does that tell you? Our nation knows there is a God. Our nation knows there is a God. They know there is a God. But sometimes when they're doing evil deeds, they don't want to act like they know God. And so Paul's fixing to tell us how we got in the shape we're in. And then he's going to tell us the good news of how we get out of it. 
The, the bad news is we're like the, the Gentiles. We're all depraved society. Then he says, then there's you moralists. Some of you go, you think God grades on a curve. If you're in school, you know what? How many knows what grading on a curve is? I, I had a theology teacher that was so hard that the best grade in one of the classes was like a 65. That was the best. So that was the, that's what an A was as a 65. Then you went down to so many numbers underneath that, and that was a B. And you get down, you're like in the 40s, you're still passing, you know. Or 50s there, you're still passing because they're grading on a curve. God does not grade on a curve. God requires perfection, and he sent his son to be that perfected one. But the moralist says, well, I'm not as bad as that person. And Paul's fixing to describe a bunch of people. And you're going, yeah, I'm not as bad as that person. But I think when I get through with the list, you're going to find out you're guilty of a bunch of stuff on that list, just like I am. And so the moralist compares, it's a comparison. Well, I may be bad, but I'm not as bad as some other body over there. You're still going to go to hell if you don't turn to Jesus. That's what he's saying. Then there's the Jewish. They're so self-confident because they were the chosen people. They were given the law and no, God says no. There's even a higher standard to you because you had the truth and you didn't follow truth. Not only do you teach the truth and you consider yourself uh, superior in truth, you, you tell people that you know the truth, you tell people how to interpret the law, and yet on top of all that, you're not even doing it. You will tell people not to commit adultery and you commit adultery. So you'll be even held to a higher standard because you know, you know, you know. And he tells the self-confident Jewish people, you stand in the same need of God as the Gentile or the moralist. And then he goes and he says the entire human race is going to hell. That's what he said. He says all have sinned and come short of glory of God. All of us. There's not a person in here that has not sinned in their life. All has sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. And this book of Romans is 66 times he's going to tell us how to get right with God. And it's not like you thinking. It's not by becoming more Jewish. It's not by uh, writing down and writing passages of the law. It's, it's not by trying to keep the law in your own efforts. It's not by being a moralist and comparing yourself to other people. It's not by being a barbarian or being a Gentile. None of those things are going to get you anywhere with God. But Paul's going to tell you how to get an upgrade. He's going to tell you how to get right. He's the whole human race is sin and come short of the glory of God. And because of our sin, the wages of sin is death. We all deserve to die, but God's got good news. He's not going to let us die in that state. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. I want to talk about the wrath of God revealed because most of us in here don't understand what the wrath of God is. You think, well, the wrath of God is earthquakes and storms and, and evil things happening to people. And what kind of loving God does that to all these people? And we think of the wrath of God like that, but I'm going to show you what God says the wrath of God is. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of men who by unrighteousness suppress the truth. All right, you want to find out how we got so bad off it took God's son to get us back? It started off with the people suppressing the truth. The truth was, 
In the beginning, God, there was a God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy, the Holy Trinity. There was a God. But there was a group of people that said, no, there's no God. There's a group of people that later, after they said there was no God, then this group of people said, yeah, we don't believe in God, so therefore we don't believe that He created anything. So therefore, we're going to take a, our own doctrinal statement, our own thinking statement. Here's what we believe. We believe that we are... We believe in evolution. So now we're not going to believe in God and we're not going to believe that He created anything. We're just going to believe that we evolved from monkeys. You go, well, Pastor, have you been to school before? Do you know that there's a lot of evolutional type stuff that's in there? There may be, God may have set up some things to evolve in certain ways, but I'm telling you, it did not come uh, outside of God. God, there is a God and God created everything. If you can't come to that knowledge of the truth if you try to suppress that truth you're going to head down a rough road folks and God don't want you going down that road they suppressed the truth they suppressed the truth the truth was there but they suppressed it when do we normally suppress the truth we don't want God in our life we don't want God telling us what to do we're sinning and we don't want God to expose our sin who by their unrighteousness suppressed the truth. They were unrighteous, so they suppressed the truth. They didn't want God's light on the truth. You know, people doing sinful things want to do it in darkness because they want to do it in secret. They suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain. It's plain to them because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely the eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived every since creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Paul said, you can believe a lie if you want to, but deep down inside you knew that this didn't evolve. If I'm walking through the desert and I find a box and in that box is a Rolex watch, I don't believe that the wind blew a certain way and the dust blew a certain way and poof, one day it created a Rolex watch with the precision of that watch. There's something that will tell you if you think long enough and hard enough, people that spend the most amount of time in nature are usually the first one to tell you, no, this couldn't have happened by accident. If you believe the lie, you go, well, we're just all an accident. We just accidentally got here. And we really don't have no purpose. We don't have no direction. We don't have no hope. What do you think is going to be the outcome if that's what you start off believing? And he says, people that believe that, he says, you're without excuse. There's enough design in our world to know there is a God. So don't let anybody make you doubt otherwise. He tells us then... The heavens declare His glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hand. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night and after night they display the knowledge. There is no speech or language where the voice is not heard. There's nowhere that God's voice is not heard. The voices go out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Telling you there is no body that don't know that there is a God. They may not want to know it. They may not want to believe it. But there's enough to condemn and convince and make all of us unexcusable. Then he goes, here's what happens. Here's what happens. I want you to turn out all the lights you can in here. See, we started off and the world was black and dark. Totally aimless, dark. 
And then God came on the scene and he said, let there be light. And there was light. The earth was void and formless and muddy and a mess. And God said, let there be light. But over a period of time, they chose not to acknowledge God. They decided to depress, repress that truth. They decided not to consider God the creator. And the light began to be diminished. Instead of evolving, they devolved. They degraded instead of upgrading. And what happens first is there's an ingratitude that leads to repression. Go, how do I know? How do I know when I'm getting off base? Is when you're not thankful for God. You're not thankful for the sunrise and the sunset. You're not thankful for the stars in the sky. You're not thankful. You have a, a, a spirit of ingratitude. It leads to repression. You'll start repressing the good things, the truth in life. This is what happens. And then there's a sequence. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. See, they, they, He's not God. Or give Him thanks for being God. And here goes the degrading. Number two, the repression leads to darkness. The more they said they wouldn't know God, pretty soon darkness comes. I lived in a time when we used to go to school and we prayed before every class. We said the Pledge of Allegiance, not being that our religion was perfect, not that our nation was perfect, but we did it every day. It kept us conscious of the fact there was a God and there is a nation that people are dying and giving their lives for. Every day we did that. Then there come a time that they started teaching evolution in the schools. Pretty soon they started teaching humanism. Pretty soon they began to start abortions. Uh, they're not really. There's a teacher told me, he said, eventually, before all time is done, they'll consider thing, everything as quality of life. Eventually, as you get older, uh, you're, in, you're dispensable. We don't need you anymore. Because when you don't believe there's a God, you believe that it's you. You're the author of life and death. Heard about this struggle one time. They said, this guy, well, we know all the chemicals of man. We can make a man. And God said, well, go ahead and make one then. And so the guy started gathering up some mud. And God said, what are you doing with my mud? You make it yourself. But we degrade. When we don't respect God, when we don't honor God, when we don't love God, when we, when we say He didn't create nothing, we evolved. It leads to darkness in our life. We begin to be dark and and although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God and give thanks to Him. There began a time in the 60s where they would got, become all kind of riots, all kind of sex. Everybody done what was right in their own eyes. There were signs everywhere, there is no God, God is dead. Our nation grew darker and darker. They did not honor God. They didn't pray to God. They didn't give Him thanks. But they became, it took a while, but they became futile. You know what futile means? Worthless, pointless, purposeless. I think this world is purposeless right now, pretty much so. Rick Warren wrote a book on the purpose-driven life. Other than the Bible, there's no book ever sold 
in the quantities of the purpose-driven life. Why? Because there's a lot of people in this world knows their life has no purpose. It has no meaning. It has no direction. It's futile. The Bible warned us about churches. He said in the churches in the last days, he said if you lose the salt, salt used to be used to put around meat to, to keep meat from spoiling. Right now, the church in the world there's not a whole lot being said about sin anymore, but the church was supposed to be that, that thing that held off darkness. It was to hold off darkness and let a few more people get saved. And because God is long-suffering, He don't want anybody to be lost. But if the church does not speak up against lies, against the devil, against falsehood, the church begins to lose its effectiveness and he said it like salt. If the salt has lost its savior, it's good for nothing. It needs to be dumped out and trampled among men. If the church does not come back to revival, does not come alive, does not stand against evil, he said that God would remove their candlestick and the light will be went out. And then without any light, the church is futile, purposeless. It's not worth anything. It's not worth spending your Sunday they became purposeless. They become worthless. They become these people that were purpose. They didn't have a purpose. They had no purpose in their thinking. And they had foolish hearts that were darkened. Each one of these is a degrade and it's taken them further than they wanted to go. Next, the darkness leads to every other problem. As we go into this darkness, it leads to every other problem. Problems became, that's why God hates sin so much. That's why He's willing to die because of sin, what it would cause. And this darkness leads to every other problem. What are some of the other problems? It leads to idolatry. Because when you say there's no God, you're going to serve something, and pretty soon you're serving some animal. You know, Egypt was considered, a, it was a great, you know, a great mass that Egypt had God's people in bondage. Their God was a beetle, and the beetle, if you study about the beetle of Egypt, this beetle bug, it's a bug that eats dead things, dead people. If you see it around, you know there's death somewhere. And they made a God out of death, out of death. But they make, they make an idol out of things that they create in their mind. They make it out of, the, they start worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Because they don't believe in the Creator. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, other images. It's like if I told you to draw something, I'll let you see a, a picture of that image. And then I turn it off and you go over here and you start drawing. And you go, well, I, I don't quite remember what the image was. And, and then you draw the best you can. And then you pass it on to your kid. And your kid don't quite get the image that you gave. And they draw something. Pretty soon it's just a bunch of scribble. And you're saying that scribble is God. Because they didn't, they didn't hold to the truth, the image of God. And they pass on a less likely looking image of, image of God and then it's less and less and it's degrading away from the true and living God the immortal God claiming to be wise they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man now they're serving man that's exactly what happened in the 60's humanism came into place 
They resemble mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Because they exchange the truth about God for a lie. There's a lie. All that stuff was a lie. They, they chose to exchange the truth for a lie. The devil is the father of lies. He's the liar. If you want to find out what the devil's about, he's about everything the opposite of God. But the Bible said in the last days, this seducing spirits would come and the devil would come as an angel of light. He would appear to be the good one, but he'd be speaking lies, lying, deceiving. And if it wasn't for a shortening of time, the very elect would be deceived. The devil is everything the opposite of God. And the only time he comes as anything other is to deceive you. He comes as a wolf in sheep's clothing, a wolf in sheep's clothing, or he comes as an angel of light. He comes as, oh, I'm doing the right thing. Reminds you of the media today. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served creatures rather than the Creator who blessed forever. Amen. They're going down, folks. It's another degrade. They're, being, they're not evolving. They're degrading. He tells us the plight. Then what happens? An inversion of life takes place. Truth is a lie. Lie is the truth. Darkness is light. Light is the darkness. Everything that is is turned upside down. That's when Jesus come talking about His kingdom he talked about it and they thought he was a crazy man because everything he was saying seemed upside down. It, it seemed crazy to a lot of people. But this inversion, it's been inverted. Inversion of life. And he says, here's what happens when people have bought the lie and starts going down the road of the lie. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Eventually, God's Spirit won't anymore. If you're not going to believe in God, and you're going to believe the lie, then you're going to be damned. And God gave them up. What is the wrath of God? It's when God gives you up. You say, and you don't want God, you don't want God, you don't want God, you don't want God, you don't want to believe in God, you don't want to believe that God is the Creator, then He'll eventually give you up. And He says later to give you over. To what you want. If you want your way long enough, you'll get your way. One day, the devil's going to be loosed on earth. Why? Because people want the devil loosed on earth. You don't want to be here when that happens. He gave them up to the lust of their hearts and the impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Therefore, God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity. The degrading of their bodies with another. Shameful, degrading acts among people. Did you know that God created this wonderful thing called sex? Can you give God a hand? Pretty good God if you ask me. But it's meant to be within a marriage. Sex outside of marriage. Living together. 
sex outside of marriage, committing adultery, fornication is a sin. I don't care if they show you on TV. You know, a lot of things go, well, I tell you what, I've got the best husband now. It's like there's no consequences of the loss of the last husband or the loss of the last wife. They degraded, they're degrading of their bodies with one another. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonoring passions. It's getting worse. Finally, their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. We know certain things by nature. Don't act like you don't know about nature. We know by nature how nature operates. And when something is out of the ordinary in nature, you know it. It's something about you. You know it. You know it's right or you know it's wrong. You can try to repress that truth that you feel, but you know it's wrong. And so those that are contrary to nature and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Now some translations, which the word is not exactly in the Bible, homosexuality, but it, it, homo, same sexuality, same sex, with same male with male, female with female. Women were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men. That's not an upgrade from the wonderful picture of sex that God gave to mankind. It's not an upgrade. I'll just tell you that. And receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. That takes them to iniquity. Like we, in the first book of the Bible, they're already in the first book of the Bible, every thought and every imagination was only wickedness. Because God loved a handful of people that wouldn't go down that road. He spared Noah and his family. That they might be a remnant. That he could save the world. But the wrath of God is when God lets you go your own way. How do we know that America is under the wrath of God? Because those things that we just named is very prevalent in our society today. And nobody gives a rip. I don't give a rip. We watch TV programs and laugh about it. And we're pulling for the underdog. We're, we're pulling for the sinful person that's breaking up a marriage. We're, we're, and not only do we, do we not do these things in secret or in our own closets, we parade them and we call them pride parades. We're, we're prideful now of our sins and we make it feel like that, well, we've evolved because... We don't look down on anybody. I'm not talking about looking down on anybody. Paul talks about a whole list of sins. He talks about gossip. He talks about adultery. He talks about, and you go, well, how do you feel about this? I'm going to tell you how I feel. In my family, I know of, of three people that are in same sex, uh, same male with male type relationships. I've been on vacation with them. I love them. I hug their neck every time I leave. One, his father was an Assembly of God minister living in Alabama. He was married, had a child, and his, uh, you know, every year I saw him at the family reunion, and he was a fine person. He wasn't a horrible person. He was a fine person. 
Him and his wife got divorced, though, and there was a fight over the kids. And I don't know what all he went through and what kind of hell he went through, but eventually he moved to Atlanta, and then he stayed in Atlanta for a while, and he moved to California. And then he was gone, and none of us knew where he was at for many years. And then he come back home one day to Op, Alabama. And he told his dad, his Assembly of God father, he said, Dad, I'm a long ways from home. And I'm living a lifestyle that you always preached against. And it took me further than I wanted to go. And I have HIV. And I'm dying. Back then, this was in the 70s. They didn't know a whole lot about it. And his mom and dad done what real Christian people do. They loved and fell on their son. And they loved their son. They begged their son to stay there with them. They prayed with their son. They said, Dad, you don't know how bad this will be for you. You're a minister in this town. Matter of fact, when I die, the hospital over here would not even receive me into the hospitals because of HIV and what people understand about it. And when I die, they would not even embalm me here in your local funeral home that you've done hundreds of funerals. I just want to tell you, you and mom, I love you, and I'm going back to California to die. And he did. I don't hate, I would not be right to hate these people because they're no different in Paul's writing than the liar, than the cheater, than the adulterer. You say, well, how would Jesus do this? I believe if they would have brought someone to Jesus and they caught him in the act of a same-sex relationship, I think Jesus would have stood up and said, ye without sin cast the first stone. And just like the adulterous woman, those that sin, he said they begin to drop their stones from oldest to youngest because they had all sinned. They had all sinned. And he... he but I do also think Jesus, when the crowd went away, and in the most private and respectful way, Jesus would look at that young man like he looked at the woman caught in the act of adultery, and he would tell her, go and sin no more. See, the love of God is unconditional for a repentant man. We've got to repent. If not, we're going to have every kind of horrible sin. God does not want this sin in heaven because He knows what it does. He knows where it takes you. He knows it takes you further than you ever anticipated going. It'll keep you longer than you ever planned and it'll cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. That's why God hates sin. And that's why He would go to such length to die for the sinner. And He warns us that we should not be boastful and run around like we have no sin. Don't point your fingers at other people that's doing more sin than you as a moralist. Don't act like you know the word better like the Jews did. All sinners need to fall on their knees and get right with God. Here's the thing that shook me to my, my knees to this week. And since they did not seem fit to acknowledge God, they gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. You know there's some things being done in our society today that ought not to be done. And if God had His way, which He will one day, 
there will not be these things done outside of nature. They were filled with all manner of unrighteous, evil, covenants, malice. So uh, see if you, you got any unrighteousness in your life, you got any evil or covetousness, you ever coveted what somebody else has, or their wife or their whatever they got, malice. You ever been full of envy before? Murder, strife. Some people go, well, I've never murdered it. That's kind of like the go-to moralist. Well, I tell you what, I may be bad, but I've never murdered anybody. Well, Jesus said if you've had hateful thoughts in your mind that you wish somebody was dead, then you've committed murder in your heart. And so strife, you ever had strife or deceit or maliciousness or are they gossip or slanders or haters of God or insolent or haughty? Any of those things? You had any of those this week? Boastful, inventors of evil. The world's getting very creative now, inventing evil. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I think we all fall somewhere in there. I don't know about you, I've probably messed up on a few of those this week. How about you? And Paul said, if you don't want to be judged, don't judge. But he also tells us, though they know God's degree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Here's the fine line. We should not judge people and especially judge them of things we're doing ourselves. And we need to be very humble. Yeah, I've sinned, but I've repented too. If you ever try to correct somebody, you tell somebody you need to forgive, and you ain't forgive yourself, you, you, you're in judgment. So yeah, I've sinned. And by the wonderful grace and love of God, I repented of my sins, and God forgave me. I thank God for that. But here's what scares me today. Because of peer pressure in our society, it's easy, very easily, for you to talk to people you love, your friends, people you go to school with, and approve of their lifestyle when God doesn't approve of their lifestyle. But he don't approve of adultery either. He don't approve of sex outside of marriage either. He don't approve of living with people either. He don't approve of lying either. He don't approve of covenant and boasting and all of those other things. So I'm saying, God, where should we as a church be? We should be loving. We should come every week so thankful that God's in his time and through his grace, he will render us fully separated from sin one day. Until that time, we got to realize, how did these people, how did us people get where we're at? How did we get so far away from God? How did we get so messed up? Paul's been trying to tell you. It started off something very simple. One day you decided not to regard God as being God. You wasn't thankful for God you didn't believe that he created this world. And you start going down this road. And it goes further and further and further. And one day it's gone further than you wanted it to go. And you find yourself in a far country. Wondering if anybody could ever love you again. Anybody could ever take you back. Remember the story of the prodigal son. He repented. When he repented. 
he began to rehearse. I'm going to tell my dad when I get back home that I've, I've sinned against heaven and earth. There was no return without repentance. Does God love everybody? Absolutely. But is there a true return without repentance? No. Repentance means to turn. Turn. We can't keep going, following the devil, the lies of the devil, the sin of the devil, and claim God. We can't do that, folks. I can't do that. You can't do that. We must repent and turn to God. God's grace and his salvation is fully capable of saving everyone, all of us. Can you say amen? amen. How many is ready for an upgrade? I want God to upgrade my thinking because sometimes it ain't right. I want God to upgrade my sensor, my GPS when I'm going down the wrong way. I want God to. But you know, the more I neglect that GPS of the Holy Spirit, the more my heart becomes hardened and the less I feel Him correcting my path. If we'll let God, He'll be a light upon your path. He'll be a direction of the Holy Spirit. I tell you what, it's been rough this week thinking about this sermon and how to try to deliver it. Non-judgmental. I'm not against anybody. You probably, there's probably not a person here that don't have someone in your life that's way down that road. Don't point to them like they're the most disgusted person in society. That's not true. Paul wanted you to know you can be the self-righteous Jew that goes to the temple every week and you can be that person. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many would honestly say sin has touched your family? All of us. All of us. Now, does anybody like what sin's done in your family? I don't like what sin's done in my family. I've cried and hurt and repented and turned. and I despise sin. You know when you know you're getting close to your Heavenly Father? When you hate sin as much as He does. And you would be willing to die for that good news if it would help somebody else not have to go down that road of sin. That's how good the good news is. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I repent, Lord, for anything I've said today that's not quite right. I'm not perfect. Far from it. But I am so thankful for your amazing grace that would save a wretch like me. God, there's not anybody in our society that's not recoverable, that's not savable. Lord, if they'll turn, if they'll repent, you, oh God, like nobody else with open arms, would run out to them and hug them and kiss them and receive them. And you'll make them welcome at home in your presence. God, may I be just a little bit like you, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.